Welcome to Shortcut to Sunday. I'm Ben. And I'm Bruce. And uh, this is your podcast for January 20th, 2019. And uh, uh, we're, we're humming along here in the new year. And we're, we're in the middle of the epiphany season. So, I mean... Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> Go Epiphany! That's right, that's right. So thank you so much for joining us uh, here today. And uh, apologies, it, to give you a little bit of a, a, a peek behind the curtain of the making of this, uh, apologies for it being late. Uh, uh, we, are, we, we are making this the day that we release it, and uh, uh, had some, some, some scheduling uh, uh, conflicts and had, had difficulty getting uh, things done ahead of time. We promise to do better. I promise to do better, actually. Bruce doesn't. Um, <laughs> I'll be my usual so-so self. <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, thanks for joining us here today. And uh, uh, with that in mind, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get to today's sponsor. <clears throat> Introducing the new fragrance from the Diocese of Indianapolis, Transubstantiation. All the appearance of normal perfume. <laughs> Man, I can't even get through this. All the appearance of normal perfume now infused with the saving grace of Christ the Son. Transubstantiation. This eau de parfum can change your life through the sacrament of the Eucharist, one liberal use at a time. Transubstantiation. So run with God. Don't walk to an Episcopal church near you and get a bottle of transubstantiation. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so, uh, Bruce, uh, that is not what transubstantiation is. Not uh, nearly. <laughs> not nearly. I took elements of it. Uh, 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 the, uh, the appearance of normal perfume. Uh, transubstantiation, the appearance of yeah. normal bread and wine. Uh, but uh, but transubstantiation uh, means something totally different. Uh, do you want to explain? Sure. Sure. Let me just get my serious brain in my skull for a second. <laughs> the transubstantiation is the belief that the bread and wine, when it's consecrated during the worship, during particularly the Eucharistic prayer, actually changes substance. It, the substance mm -hmm. is transformed into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's um, a belief that developed within the Roman Catholic tradition and in the Episcopal tradition when we broke off from the Roman Catholic Church, we shifted it a bit. Mm -hmm. we, we had massive fights about whether to continue it or not, to right. continue that belief as, as happened all so often during that period hundreds of years ago. And we ended up with a, a really beautiful compromise where instead of trans, transubstantiation, mm -hmm. we believe in the real and abiding presence of Jesus Christ in the bread and wine. Gotcha. That leaves room for those who choose to, to believe in transubstantiation. For others, they'll believe in a, a much less uh, physical change of the bread and wine. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can almost take it all the way to it being simply a memorial of the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. That's not so strong within the Episcopal Church, but certainly there are Episcopalians that believe that's what it is. So that's one of the ways we try to be fairly broad and inclusive in our theology, mm -hmm. even with such um, central practices as our Sunday worship as the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, the bread and wine. There you go. There you go. Totally, totally different. <laughs> totally different. <laughs> 
I just I, I've been meaning to work the phrase eau de parfum <laughs> into something at some point in time. So this is my no. Uh, <laughs> and less entertaining. It was hard for me not to just laugh all the way through it, but I didn't be helpful to anyone else. I, I think I think it might be also fair to say that you were more laughing at me and not the material. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was laughing at the material. I thought that was very funny, and your delivery was impeccable. <laughs> This time it was funny. Next time, keep it to yourself. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, no, we're uh, so we're now here into the um, the second Sunday of Epif after Epiphany, um, so, and uh, and uh, have uh, uh, some readings here. Uh, it, kind of a similar theme. You'll note. Um, I think the uh, we now have three Sundays in a row we're reading from Isaiah. Right. Uh, I think that is uh, intentional. Uh, a lot of a lot of this language seems to kind of almost mirror uh, themes that we've discussed in weeks past, uh, which we'll get to. But uh, it's kind of kind of interesting there. Uh, so, um, but before we get to it, I, I, I want to throw out the uh, um, every every weekly reminder of uh, if you want to participate with uh, with questions. Regarding uh, this podcast, if you have questions for for myself, uh, I will try to give a semi serious answer. Uh, if you have questions for Bruce, he will definitely give you a good answer. Uh, but feel free to send us emails at shortcut at hfec dot org. Uh, it's a mouthful, but uh, shortcut at hfec dot org. So let's just uh, let's dive right into it. Let's yes. see if we can hit our thirty minute. Uh, cut off uh, and 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 actually make it this we'll time. Give it a shot <laughs> <laughs> and fail. So in Isaiah sixty-two uh, verses one through five, it reads this way: <clears throat> For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jeru Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn, and her salvation like the burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication, and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Um, first thing right out the gate, I want to say, uh, um, I, I want to start using the phrase for Zion's sake as an exclamation <laughs> at, at some point in time. That's just an aside. It may offend um, people, so feel free. <laughs> for Zion's sake! <laughs> Um, but, uh, but, but the first thing that jumps out to me that you probably w you would almost gloss over if you weren't actually reading, uh, the, the, the actual text here and just listening to, uh, someone else reading it like you just did, uh, there are terms there in verse four that are capitalized as though they are capital names. And so I kind of wanted to, to, to ask a question about that. Uh, so the, the, um, when we're talking about things being termed, Forsaken, desolate, my delight is in her, and married are all capitaled uh, right. uh, words. Uh, what? What is? What's the deal with that? That's a good catch on your part. These. Well, <laughs> this has been shortcuts. <laughs> you're going while you're ahead. <laughs> just going to leave it at that. <laughs> that 
that each of those are are meant to be proper names. They are okay. they are the names that Zion has had and will have. So okay. Zion had the name Forsaken, had the name Desolate, and then will be transformed and will have those new names of My Delight is in Her and Married. Mm-hmm. So it's in the in the Hebrew scriptures and to a lesser extent, but somewhat in the New Testament as well, there's a huge amount of theological import to what someone is named okay. and whether or not they even have a name. That, for instance, one of the basics of the Hebrew scriptures is the name of God is never given. Right. And the reason for that in part is that there was an ancient belief that if you knew the name of something, you had power over it. Hmm. So if I knew Ben's name, I could throw curses upon his name and therefore make his life terrible. And similarly, the, the name gives a certain amount of power by revealing who that person is. So the the naming and renaming within this passage it would immediately catch particularly Hebrew readers of Isaiah as extremely significant mm-hmm. as well, okay this is something that is in bright neon lights so to tra- be transformed from one who is called forsaken and desolate to my delight is in her and married is very intentionally contrast of what is the relationship with God between Zion and, and God, mm-hmm. and therefore, what is the future of this people? Interesting. So, so I mean, this, we still have aspects of this. I guess, I suppose, still in our culture, there are plenty of people who you might, you might even, as you're listening to this, know what your name means in in another language. So, so clearly, that that tradition kind of uh, um, still very strong. still still very strong. Yeah. Although, I I'd say I. I it seems uh, that that is more going out of fashion as far as depends on your culture. Yeah, it certainly depends on your culture. Yeah, there, there. I wish I could remember. Here in America, we're making up names now, so <laughs> <laughs> we're just shallow people. Um, I wish well, I could. Remember I know what, I am. What, <laughs> I can't speak for the rest of us. I I forget what culture it is and what continent even it's on, but there's one in which the the name of the child is, is in part determined by the weather the day he or she is born. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, and just all sorts of traditions like that that still go very so strong. Somewhere yeah. out there, it's like, you know, that child's name is Muddy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 shoot. We had Muddy Waters. on the sidewalk. Yeah, we had Muddy Waters. So, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> Great musician. Love his work. Uh, so, so yeah. Uh, um, but, yeah, that, that's that, it's kind of like I said before in the introduction – uh, to the podcast, though, I mean, it, it kind of has some some of that similar feeling of redemption, right? And uh, uh, bringing that light, a lot of uh, some more light related words um, um, uh, used in this in this passage. So it's kind of uh, um, similar as to the previous two weeks worth of readings out of Isaiah. But but one thing to know that I think is fascinating is that this passage, verse sixty, or I'm sorry, chapter sixty two, and the surrounding chapters are from what scholars call third Isaiah. And last week we had from Deutero Isaiah or second Isaiah. And this passage, the third Isaiah passages, were written after 
the people of Israel were restored to Jerusalem in the land. They had come back from the Babylonian exile that we talked about last week and maybe a bit the week before. And in some ways, this passage is a reassurance now that the honeymoon is over. Okay. They've come back to the land. They're resettling. They're no longer held captive by the Babylonians. And life's not glorious and wonderful. And it's not all sweetness and light. And so this passage is to help reassure them that as they're having the struggles of resettling, mm-hmm. of reconciling with the people who were left behind, particularly the people uh, who became known as the Samaritans uh, in the New Testament, as all these struggles about reestablishing the temple and institutions and day-to-day life and relationships, as all those things are going on and not going easily, this is a passage that reassures them, no, really, God still is remembering you and God always will love you like the finest spouse possible. Hmm. Very interesting. So, so let, me, let me back up mm-hmm. just a little bit then there. There are three Isaiahs. There um, are three sections of Isaiah. It are, 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 is that because they're written at different periods of time? Is that because uh, they there's is there like a a, a hinge point where th- that like this is a defining moment that then switches uh, it, over? Yes, to both. That okay. they're they're written at three different times. We can tell by the vocabulary and grammar and, and subject matter and the perspective that the three different authors take. Interesting. There yeah. three different authors. So yeah. there's even three different uh, three different people who contribute to this book. Right. Very interesting. Um, so yeah, it's and it's still one of the most beautiful books in the whole Bible. Wow. And yeah. Um, so it would have been quite an honor, frankly, to be the third Isaiah to have the prophetic voice inspired by the Holy Spirit that was so beautiful that it, it could walk side by side with first Isaiah and second Isaiah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So let's move on to uh first Corinthians uh, chapter 12 verses one through 11. And that reads now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. That's a good thing. Yeah. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. Uh, so, I read this as, look, you're all important. You're all very mm-hmm. special. Uh, uh, I do find it interesting that he, uh, he takes time to, to point out, like, okay, if it's, basically, if, it's, if, there's, if anything is bad, 
said about um, God, Christ, that it can't come from the Spirit of God. That's just right. by, by nature, that is clearly something different. Uh, but uh, in, in the same light, no one can say, anyone who says Jesus is Lord, that comes from the Holy Spirit um, um, right. itself. So, so inherently, you know, evil is over here and inherently good is over here. Um, but, uh, but is, is there any nuance that I'm missing on this other than a nice long list of like, some people are good at this, you know, Ben, you're not good at any of this. <laughs> well, you're, you're found in a different chapter. <laughs> Until a moment ago, you were right on. <laughs> Because Ben, you too are a beloved child of God. Oh, I wasn't saying that wasn't true. <laughs> good, I was just saying. Good. <laughs> well, and it this First Corinthians is a fascinating book, and it's one of those that I thoroughly recommend sitting down and reading in one one reading, okay. so that you can catch more easily the the repeated themes okay. that come through and. When one does that, often it becomes quite obvious that there are some huge conflicts within the community of Corinth, of community of Christians in Corinth. And one of them has to do with people who basically are saying, because I speak in tongues, I'm holier than thou. And so, yet, as mm-hmm. you said, Paul is trying to say, hey, these are all equal. Mm-hmm. There, there are none greater than others. And there's a couple of interesting things I just want to point out that are more trivial than heavy theological points. In the very first verse, in many, many, many English translations, it uses the same wording, now concerning spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. The actual Greek says things. Hmm. It's an ambiguous, ambiguous <clears throat> word, so it's not inaccurate to say gifts, but the translators are making an interpretation by using the term gifts. A much better translation is either spiritual things or spiritual persons. Okay. And I think the the nuance that gets set aside a bit is, frankly, how important the manifestations of the Spirit are that Paul then goes to laundry list a paragraph long. Mm-hmm. And, and they didn't have paragraphs when these were written down first. Um, so even that is an interpretation as to where the paragraph should be. So Paul is dealing with a community that's in Greece, that's in this huge marketplace of spiritual ideas, of different theologies, all sorts of different uh, pagan religions, as he says, you know that when you were pagans. And as happens when someone changes religions, when someone converts to Christianity in this case, they want to bring in their preconceptions and prejudices. Mm-hmm. And speaking in tongues was something that took place in various pagan religions as a sign of being very close to whatever deity you were, mm. you wanted to be it close was a station, to. It was a sign of what station you were in within that right, religion. Right, within that religion, within that the hierarchy of that religion. Mm. And so people were, understandably, because they're human beings, bringing that in with them when they became Christians in Corinth. So Paul's coming down very hard on it. And in, Not that the Christians themselves were, were uh, mired with any of these, uh, any, any, any of those uh, um, issues of... Right, we all bring our now. baggage. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not tongues, it's 
you know, what color should be hung on the altar on a Sunday morning? Well, there's uh, clear right answers to that. So um, that's for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the, the altar podcast. Right. The altar po- podcast. <laughs> altar or altered? Uh, uh-huh. ah, a sequel is being developed. So, so Paul is trying to bring everyone down to the same level. Mm-hmm. Because in Corinth, there are all these hierarchies that keep popping up as to who's, if you're rich, you're higher up. If you're speaking in tongues, you're higher up and on and on and on. And so in uh, the first Corinthians letter again and again, Paul comes back to the theme of we are all equal in the eyes of God. We all are important. We all receive the Holy Spirit. None of us are holier than anyone else. Hmm. And so if we walk away with that, then we are walking away with what Paul has been trying to tell us for about 2,000 years through this letter. Very interesting. The other thing I'll add, even though you haven't asked, is... Oh, wait, I haven't had a chance to. <laughs> That's true. I'm just going on and on. What would you like to ask? I don't know. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> the, one of the things that takes place in Scripture in various places are lists of mm. quote-unquote spiritual gifts. Yes. And particularly modern Christians have made the mistake of thinking these are an exhaustive list and there's nothing else. And really each time that one of those lists appears, it's almost always to, to put it nicely, put in perspective what's being listed as equal to everything else rather than to lift them up as what we should be seeking or hoping to find within ourselves. Gotcha. gotcha. What, what kind of jumped out to me in that list. Uh, and as you were talking that uh, a parallel that uh, uh, came to mind was when he, you know, the 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 Bible talks about the hand and the foot and and, and different parts of the body, the whole body of Christ, image. right? Uh, but it is kind of interesting because this this um, this reference is talking about like equality, level playing field, uh, whereas like I suppose like the um, the hand and foot aren't necessarily pushing the equality, like like level playing field, more uh, implying that that um, we all have our own importance and we work together to uh, a common goal. Right. Uh, and then and and real and then earlier in in uh, the New Testament readings are, are is is the story about how the the uh, the disciples themselves fell victim to this and were arguing who was going to be who's going to be the greatest who's going to be the greatest and the answer there was also not really one of we're one and the same that leads into the more of the theology of whoever's last is first and, right and servant making yourself humble ministry. and being a servant ministry yeah and so it's kind of interesting though that there's a little bit of interplay of of different mindsets still coming out in, in these readings that, that while they're not necessarily uh, in conflict with each other, they also don't necessarily have the same exact point um, and, and, are, and are different aspects of, of, of this message of how we, how we commune together, how we, how we work yeah. to, in conjunction with each other. And one of the things I think about with first Corinthians and the other letters from Paul is he had to write the community in a way that they would keep reading. Mm-hmm. So if he came, so I wonder how much he had to think about and pray about, do I come on really strong at this point or do I soft pedal it a bit? Do I sneak up on him with this concept or do I hit him between the eyes? Uh, because you know, this, this letter would be 
carried to the Christian community of Corinth and read, and Paul wouldn't be there to say, oh, wait, I didn't mean it quite that way, guys. I can see you're getting upset. Mm. Uh, or wait, you're going off in a direction I never intended. And so part of the the dramatization for me of reading these letters is is picturing Paul saying, okay, if I say this, they'll say that. And, and obviously, I think since they've survived all this time, the Holy Spirit guided him um, very, very strongly. But it also means that he doesn't always say everything in every letter. Right. So some, some places he does emphasize the servant ministry. Others, it's a little softer that we're all, and emphasizing instead, we're all equal. Very good. Very good. Uh, anything more on? Nope. First Corinthians. All Not right. At this point, <clears throat> so let's move on to John, the Gospel reading, uh, John chapter two, verses one through eleven. Uh, this will sound familiar to most most people. Um, I, I think at some point in time we've all heard this story. So, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Um, so me being me, <laughs> um, in reading this, uh, 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 I, I, I don't know why, but my mind interprets a little bit of angst in uh, still coming out of uh, 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 from Jesus in in this the performance of this miracle, mm -hmm. and maybe it's just because this reading <laughs> he says. Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. It kind of sounds like, Mom, don't tell me what to do. I'll do it when I'm ready. Mm -hmm. I'm not ready yet. Okay, I'm ready. Right. <laughs> and, then he, and then he turns around. And I think in, in verse 5, it's kinda, it kind of sounds like an a exasperated uh, uh, Mary turns, turns around and just... Do whatever he says. I, I'm done. And, you know, I, so I've, I made a nice suggestion and I got yelled at. So I'm leaving. So I've also heard the, the interpretation of that same sentence of her turning the servants and saying, do whatever he says. Mm -hmm. you know, wink, wink. Right. <laughs> and therefore, it, because it means he's going to say something. Yeah. It doesn't say if he tells you to do something, do it. It's instead a, yeah, he's going to tell you something. And so she's already started the ball rolling that he now turns and faces these uh, servants. Of, mm -hmm. Okay, what do you want us to do, sir? And it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> go check that those jugs. You might find there's some wine in them. Right, right, right. Um, 
so there's two other things that that stand out to me. One is um, the uh, the way that the story ends. Um, we can interpret that everyone got drunk off the bad wine <laughs> before they got the good wine. Um, no, but uh, but is there any significance to uh, the fact that this doesn't refer to Mary as Mary? I thought that was a little weird. Uh, as it, or or does the, the does the book of John kind of just kind of shy away from from um, saying Mary's name or like it just it's just struck me as weird that it says the mother of well Jesus. It, it, I think the biggest reason it says that is Mary was a pretty common name at mm, okay. the time of Jesus, pretty much as it is now in Western culture. So just making sure that we the, the, that we the author is differentiating as like this person, particularly because. As the Gospel of John unfolds, Mary Magdalene becomes mm, mm -hmm. extremely important. Mm -hmm. And so it is important to keep the Marys distinct in their roles in Jesus' life. Okay. I, I, I thought it was a snub to Mary, but what do I know? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think it is. <laughs> Another classic case of like, no, they well, wrong, it, Ben. <laughs> and maybe someone emails and says, wait a minute. But yes, it is. And I'll, I'll be very open to reading that and learning. Interesting. Um, and and um, what was I going to ask? The, the, I, I guess what th – this is a fairly familiar story. And, and the first miracle of, 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 of Jesus as, as chronicled by uh, the gospel reading. So this is, this is kind of – this is the first of many. But, uh, but what's the significance? What the, what's the importance of this being the first? Or is it just – so that it happens, it ha happened to have happened to have happened. Uh, it, first, it was chronologically first, and then that's just the way the chips fell. And and and, but uh, well, with help with me the, out here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the with the Gospel of John, there almost always are layers and layers of meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, contrast, say the Gospel of Mark, usually it's very straightforward, but John has all sorts of layers. And so just to, to hit a few of them, he was, uh, first of all, it's a wedding feast. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that happens in all four Gospels is Jesus talking about weddings, using the symbolism of weddings. We had the first reading from Isaiah, mm -hmm. full of uh, wedding symbolism as its um, very reassuring ending. And so John is drawing us in the first miracle to the book of Isaiah, to the way in which the in the rest of Jesus's life, he will be the ultimate um, wonderful wedding crasher mm -hmm. and joining groups and celebrations and also using the symbolism of weddings and, and what goes on around them in talking about the kingdom of God. So I think that's very intentional and, and may not be obvious. The other thing that's interesting is it talks about using the six stone water jars for that are meant for purification. Mm -hmm. So there's that dimension of this is spiritual stuff happening because mm -hmm. these were not just the um, jars of, alco of alcohol gel to wash your hands before going in to eat. There was at the time of Jesus very important and meaningful 
traditions and practices around using that water to wash oneself, uh, to remind oneself of how reliant we are upon God mm -hmm. and for both the forgiveness of our sins and the, the resetting of our lives. So he's taking something that was symbolically very important and showing that he's in continuity with it, but also transforming it. And maybe even demonstrating some sort of uh, inherent mastery over. Right. I mean, is, is there like an element of that of like, you know, kind of, uh, um, of, of laying the, the, the groundwork of, of divinity here and like, you know, I, I, I'm above in some I'm ways a, I'm above the stone jars of purification. <laughs> it's, yeah. The, in some ways it's there, but there, I think it's more what the gospel of John has is a repeated theme of, of Jesus as the son of God being in charge of above almost the various rites and practices and prayers both in the temple and in people's homes these would mm -hmm. these jars of purification would have been for someone's home okay so there there is a way in which it's sort of like a well you know you think you need these to wash up to get close to god look what i can do mm. and mm -hmm. follow me instead and and you'll be uh, much more on the proper path mm. uh, and then the, this is may sound a little odd but there's also some that have written about the whole dimension of the crowd being drunk and then drinking the good wine and being able to recognize it. Hmm. That even when we at our most confused states in our lives, conditions in our lives, we can still recognize that Jesus is there. That God is working a miracle um, that we don't have to worry about becoming so incapacitated by life that we're not able to see the, the love of God for us and active in our day-to-day -day lives. Interesting. Now, I mean, I, I would, I would counter with, uh, um, if I'm drunk, I think most things, uh, appear to be miraculous. <laughs> You're a happy drunk. <laughs> the, fact, the fact that I can even make it to bed is, is, is a, is, is a miracle all unto itself. Um, but, uh, but, uh, that's a, that's an interesting point of view. Um, obviously the, 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 uh, tones of abundance there um uh as well uh, right uh, you know water water to wine yeah, not only and not just it. and not just wine but good wine mm -hmm. um so um but uh but that's it's it's a that's an interesting story yeah and dozens and dozens and dozens of gallons of the finest wine mm -hmm. just given freely yeah it's like god's love's given to us freely very good well, uh, uh, we failed in making our thir uh, thirty-minute mark, uh, so that's fine though, because uh, because we have we have a question this week. We, we do have a question this week. Um, ben Rocks, nineteen eighty-one, writes, "Totally real person or not, <laughs> Ben, <laughs> longtime listener, first-time questioner. My question is for Bruce." Besides your wonderfully soothing voice, I really enjoy all the insight you have on the behind the scenes of the writings of the Bible. I'm wondering where all that knowledge comes from. Is it something that is standardly studied during seminary, or is it just something you studied yourself along the way because it interests you? Yes to both. Okay. Where there in seminary there were certain requirements that we had to take uh, 
X number of courses in the scripture. Mm -hmm. And I was blessed to have such fantastic scripture professors that whenever we had electives, I would take their courses. Whenever there were slots mm -hmm. in the in the study quarter, I would, oh, okay, so so-and-so is teaching. I'm going to take that course. Hmm. So I ended up taking a lot of scripture courses uh, during seminary, but it has been ever since then something that I've continued to study and look into and read and discuss uh, literally on a weekly basis as I prepare for sermons. So hmm. this podcast is sort of um, letting anyone who listens to it into my approach to preparing for a sermon and a lot of that is digging into what's the deep background, mm -hmm. even though that kind of um, the results of that digging probably don't show up explicitly in the sermon, but it's part of the foundation of it. Gotcha. It it it, it informs uh, a, a Great, lot of where you where, where you come informs. from and where you go on on, on a sermon. Very yeah. good. Very good. Okay. Well, thank you, Ben Rocks, nineteen eighty one. Whoever I, you may I, be, whoever you may be. <laughs> I really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, and like I said, you, you're more than welcome to, uh, to to send in your own questions, uh, questions, comments. Uh, um, um, tell us, tell us where we got it wrong. I know yeah. I got it wrong, so you don't. don't I even, may have somewhere. Don't even bother uh, emailing <laughs> and, and, and stating anything I did wrong. And that's it. Goes without saying, but uh, just avoid doing it in all capital letters. That's <laughs> discouraging. It, it just makes us sad. <laughs> It's the only way I can read. <laughs> okay, then you better do it that way. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, with that, uh, we'll conclude uh, then this uh, shortcut to Sunday uh, for January 20th, 2019. Uh, I'm Ben. And I'm Bruce. And thank you so much for spending time with us. Bye-bye.